This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome to Behind the Lines. I'm Gabrielle Jackson. So we've been away from the show for a while, I know, but now I can tell you why. It's because we've been making a new original series. Common Ground is hosted by Guardian Australia's editor, Lenore Taylor, and the author and leading social researcher, Rebecca Huntley. We keep hearing today that people are divided, that we're all stuck in filter bubbles and that nobody listens to one another. We wanted to smash through those bubbles. We wanted to get out of the newsroom, bypass all the commentators and expert and start at the source, everyday Australians. We spent months looking for the right mix of people, voters with different backgrounds who each identified with a different political party but may not always agree with their policies or even vote for them in every election. I found these four people really fascinating to listen to and not at all the stereotypes that I had imagined when they introduced themselves. It's fascinating to hear where they agree and disagree and the points of difference, as well as the points where they can end up agreeing. Together, we've spent weeks discussing their hopes and fears for the future. What are the biggest problems in their communities? Do politicians offer solutions? Why do they support or disagree with ideas like climate change, asylum seekers, inequality and many others? You might not always agree with what you hear, but we believe it's important that you listen. Common Ground examines how people's lives shape their opinions. I'm going to play you the full first episode now and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you like it, the second episode is also live. You can subscribe to it by searching for Common Ground wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's always been broken. Like nobody broke it. It came into the world as a flawed system. I don't think our political system is broken. I mean, what do you put in its place? To say it's broken would be going a bit too far. That would be negating all the good work that people are doing. I don't think politicians are representing Australians anymore. They all seem to have an agenda and there is absolutely no faith in them. I know that. Common Ground. From Guardian Australia and 2SER 107.3. We all know that voters are increasingly disillusioned. They're fed up. They're losing faith in the system. And yet politicians keep giving us the same old lines, that the things that unite us are greater than the things that divide us. But is that even true anymore? 
Do we even know what Australians think? My name's Lenore Taylor. I'm the editor of Guardian Australia. And in this new podcast, we're trying to answer some of those questions by listening. We found four Australians, completely different people from different places, different walks of life, different occupations, and they've kindly given up their time to talk to us and each other in a fascinating series of podcasts with leading social researcher Rebecca Huntley, we listen and talk with these men and women about hot-button issues and all the things that are important to them in the Australian political debate. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Lenore. So what we're trying to do here really is to create a kind of reality focus group. Yeah, it? yeah. And and across a series of topics over a, you know extended period of time. And what we're really trying to do is find out whether these four Australians agree, whether they disagree, and whether we can all still find common ground. We did find out that they agreed sometimes. It just wasn't always where we thought they might. Sometimes quite unpredictable. Sometimes they just surprise us. Yes. And sometimes two people from very different generations, different parts of Australia, obviously very different backgrounds, would suddenly spark together and agree. So those are those, you know, magical moments when you're doing social research that give you real insight into how the community's feeling. Okay, so before we get into the conversations, let's meet our four participants. My name's Josh. I'm a teenager from Latrobe Valley, a fairly rural community, basically surrounded by the bush on all sides. Um built up as a coal mining community and recently with the closure of Hazelwood Power Station going through uh, worse economic times than before, which were already quite bad. Um, At the moment, I'm a student about to finish year 12 and head out into the community and I lean heavily to the left side of politics. Uh, Hi, my name's Sharon. I am 51. I live in Newcastle. And um, I work full-time as a office administrative-type role. I'm very much a conservative voter, except for same-sex marriage. In, in, in that regard, I'm not. Um, but in, in, most, in most things, I'd say I'm very, very conservative. Um, I'm probably anti-green, anti-Labor, not anti-Liberal. <laughs> and I have just joined my first political party. I have joined Corey Bernardi's Australian Conservative Party. Hi, my name's Stephen. Uh, I'm in my mid-30s and I live in inner city Brisbane. I, uh, my background is Korean. I work as a community worker in the community sector for a charitable organisation here in Brisbane. And I guess my political leanings would be, I'm, I'm currently a Greens voter that has a few odd leanings to Labor. And who knows, in, in a few years' time, they might be more conservative, but that's how they are now. My name is Katrina. I am 68 years old and I have lived on the land for the last 40 years. So my husband and I are sheep and cattle farmers and I have two sons and four grandchildren. And I consider myself to be politically sort of moderate. I'm not, um, I'm probably a conservative voter, but I am not a, I'm not a Tony Abbott fan, put it that way. I'm not a right wing. I want to ask you all a question based on some research I've done. We asked a thousand Australians this question. Thinking about our current political and economic system, which of these statements do you feel the most strongly about? The system needs to be fundamentally changed. 
The system is fundamentally sound but needs reform. The system works well as it is. I'm interested in your views. Are our political systems fundamentally okay or are they broken? Steve. No, I don't believe, yeah, I don't believe the system to be broken, but I believe it to need some tweaking, you know, and I'm working in the community sector. I work in that system and I've certainly seen a lot of problematic elements, but to say it's broken would be going a bit too far. That would be negating all the good work that people in public office, in the community sector, in public in general are doing, you know. I've certainly, I've done a, a little bit of a community work in Bolivia and I can tell you there the system is broken. In La Paz, it was definitely broken. Ours needs a little, our definitely needs a bit of tweaking. We can do a lot better. But that's what I'd say. Sharon, what do you think? I don't think it's broken, but I think it's on the way to being broken. I think, I think we're in a bit of trouble. And um, if they don't bring some common sense back into things, and I, I think it is broken. Uh, I think it's on the, its way to being broken. It's seriously messed up, not broken, with that. That and Sharon, if you, if you look around your community and in your life or the life of your family or, you know, in the Hunter region, mm-hmm. what where are the signs that it's it's on the way to being broken? Oh, the electricity, I guess, the, uh, the energy crisis. Um, the fact that um, it's just it's become so much harder. I'm a single parent. There's one income here and I'm probably... Um, I'm probably around average, so I'm fortunate that, you know, that I can pay the bills and pay a mortgage on a very modest little home, and so I'm very fortunate there to be in the position I am. But it's getting harder and harder, and it's like the government just keeps chipping away, chipping away, chipping away from us. So, like, earlier this year we lost the school kids bonus. That hurt. Um, Medicare's gone up. That hurts. These things keep happening year in, year in. Uh, I'm sitting here going, you go to work and you just pay the bills. And as far as the kids go, like I don't foresee my children, uh, my my youngest two will because they're financially better off. Their father's much more uh, financially better off. But my eldest son, I I don't. I said to him not long ago, I don't even want you and um, his partner to buy a house now because it's too hard. So that, it's those dreams and those things that we, we had and that we just that you could do, you could achieve. I think they're being dragged away. They're not there anymore. So that's that's my. It's like our quality of life, our lifestyle is is seriously being diminished. People in Sydney, the tolls they pay to get to work, you know, like the the, the cost of housing, it's just crazy. Josh, listening to that, I mean, you're probably halfway between, in terms of your age, you're halfway between Sharon's eldest and her youngest kids. Would you say the system is broken or on the way to being broken? Very strongly agree with number one, that it is just fundamentally broken at the core. Uh, I'm really into history and looking back to history, I think it's always been broken. Like nobody broke it. It came into the world as a flawed system. In the US, you had the Great Depression, you had, you have constant economic recessions all the time, and you have politicians who can just be bought and they can be sold. And I think that it is fundamentally broken because not only does it, as we've seen, uh, the trend that's happening recently of the gap between rich and poor just growing, not only does it grow that gap 
it weights the power to make political change so strongly towards the rich that they can just use their power to keep the gap widening bigger and keep putting money in their own pockets. And, you know, they don't want to get taxed. So they say to the government, well, you should end the child benefit and you should end these subsidies. You should you should spend less on building more homes so that prices go down because there's more supply and you should build more you should build more private roads more toll roads less free government roads so i think that at its core it is broken and that it will it will hold us down so katrina your reaction to that well i think one of the problems um with politics over the last at least 10 years has been that not no government has had a clear majority so we seem to have equal numbers of people voting for either party and then we've got the minor parties forming, um, you know, it, having to f- form relationships with them to form government. And it doesn't work very well because um, governments can't get on with the job of, you know, ma- the major parties can't get on with the job of running the country as, the, as it should be run. Um I don't know, sort of some of these things sometimes become a bit of a fashion, you know, follow the leader. You know, we all hate politicians, but it's an incredibly difficult job. And and I don't think that um, our politics is broken. I feel I think it's incre- it's been incredibly hard for any leader over the last 10 years to do, a, to do a decent job. I don't know. It's a very difficult thing to say, but I don't think our political system is broken. I mean, what do you put in its place? I don't know, it's all very well for people to criticise, but they never come up with a different, you know, solution. I want you to think about what is one thing you'd like Australian politicians to know about your life? Well, for instance, it's very, very important to people in the country that, I mean, we are in a telecommunications revolution and all, you know, business is going online, banking's going online, purchases of goods and services is online. People in rural areas are being totally left out of the whole equation. You know, we're supposed to be getting on satellite NBN. You know, it drops out all the time. And um, you can't run you can't run a business, you know, from a distance with the, with the shocking lack of telecommunications services. Um, Stephen. I would say working in... The refugee sector, being the uh, sort of uh, kids of immigrants that have come to the country and that sort of thing, and this is more towards the left-leaning parties, I think, you know, there's there's an emerging population of people who are ready to take the conversation and all the controversies to the next level sort of thing. People who are, who are ready to talk about it in a new, more nuanced way. You know, it doesn't have to be two parties saying, you know, if you don't, if, if you believe you know, if you believe this, then you're a racist or something like that. If we could have a more nuanced conversation about the concerns people have about or concerns or hopes that people have about multiculturalism and uh, sort of immigration and refugee stuff in Australia, that would be great, you know. Josh, what is one thing about your life or something in your community you'd like our politicians to know and understand? Well, The Latrobe Valley has some of the highest drug rates in the country. ICE in particular is an epidemic and you see it all around you. And I see that drug addiction and that substance abuse just emerging in my friends and the people I know. 
And I think politicians should understand that the reason why that's happening isn't because of personal weakness. These are some of the the strongest people you could meet, people who who will go for so long without giving up. But it's because they don't have any hope for the future. They can't see where their future is. They don't they don't know what it's what it's meant to be. They don't they don't want to go and they don't want to work every day um, in a job that they hate and then come home and just sort of flick on the TV for a few hours and then go to sleep and then and then retire in a community where they're worried that if they're walking down the street at night, someone's going to attack them. And they need to see big changes if we want to restore that hope to people. Sharon? I'm going to give you the um, last word. Not in every time we talk, but I'm going to give you the last word today. Um, what would you like politicians to know about your life and the life of your family? Um, Maybe along the lines of Josh somewhat, but in a different way. Um, for me and my family and my community, I would like them to know how let down um, I feel by the state and federal governments um, and how... How silent and the community, and I know that um, the people around me feel very silenced. We've we've been we're, we're not allowed to say what we really think because you, you, people won't listen, um, and they just jump on it. And I said before, uh, Corey Bernardi wants to cut immigration in half, and it's not about it, it's about being sensible. And if you say that. You get jumped on. You get screamed at. People scream at you. Oh, you're, you're every word they can think of. You're a racist. You're a bigot. You're a bogan. You're a whatever. So the, the people just don't say anything. So that would be my thing. Silenced. And there's a lot of people just sitting in silence and they've been gagged. So let down by the system and silenced as well. There, there's no um, that left behind, I guess. So that was interesting. I guess the first thing to test, Rebecca, is whether we have found four people who are sort of in a broad sense representative. You do these kinds of focus groups all the time and you've done it for years and years. So do you think Sharon, Katrina, Josh and Steve are typical of the kind of views that you hear? I mean, no Australian is ordinary. We always talk mm. about ordinary Australians. Politicians and there's no such love, thing. love yeah, talking yeah. about it. Um I think what's really clear is the conversations are very familiar to me. Right. Um, so that where the conversation landed and even some of the tensions were very familiar. If you take four of them, you know, one by one, Katrina is quite typical of people that you meet in regional Australia. You know, she you'll see as we go along that she has particular views about climate change that might surprise people. I think sometimes our city dwellers have this assumption that everybody lives in regional Australia is, you know, very socially and economically conservative. And, and that's it's not, not necessarily true. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Josh does remind me of a lot of young people I've talked to in regional Australia across the nation. You know, their concerns are, am I going to be able to stay here and get a job? If so, what kind of job? And they do worry about their peers, about the kind of hopelessness that, you know, no jobs, no opportunity. 
uh, no way forward, you know, means, and that can lead to things like ice addiction that's constantly raised by young people as being an issue in regional Australia. And Josh has a particular reason, because he comes from the Latrobe Valley, to be concerned about those things. I mean, that's an area that's gone through particular dislocation, which probably sort of heightens it with him. Yeah, absolutely. And so perhaps just dropping in and listening to Josh, you'd think he'd be from, you know, inner city Melbourne and Sydney. And certainly the way he articulates things, he's, he's incredibly precociously bright. But, you know, when he really gets down to talking about the things that concern him, future of employment, future of young people, you know, not not untypical of mm. what young people talk to me when I'm, you know, travelling the country – Steve is interesting, you know. Steve has had, you know, an an insight into a in a kind of industry and access to people that most Australians don't. Most of us understand the asylum seeker issue through the news, which seems to be very politicised on this. So, and and kind of reticent to talk about his views occasionally, mm. but you know, again, we're hearing from him not just in this series but throughout. Um, a whole lot of issues not not um, untypical of somebody at his age with his kind of background living, let's say, in Queensland, but also in metropolitan Queensland. And, and Sharon was the one that uh, I was really interested in. We did try and get people who weren't involved in political parties. We discovered in the first episode that Sharon had just joined a p- political yes, party. Yes, yes. That interested me, actually. Yeah, yeah. but I, I thought her views were really interesting too. Yeah. And look, Sharon, again is one of those kinds of people, you know, grown up in Newcastle, you can't think of a more Labor part of Australia, really, um, you know, single mum, very articulate and bright and thinking about a whole range of issues. But for whatever reason, for social and economic reasons, really attracted to somebody like Corey Bernardi, whereas I would assume that most of her, you know, um, most of the generations before her would have voted Labor and, you know, perhaps been mm. in the union and, and all the rest of it. Interesting. One thing that really interested me was that the degree of disillusionment with the system didn't really split along party lines at all. Sharon is conservative. Josh is quite left-wing in his views. And yet they were the ones that seemed really fed up with the political system. Katrina and Steve, less so. Yeah. And I think that part of that is really about, you know, the extent to which you feel um, disconnected from institutions. Where you're getting both with, with Sharon and Josh is that they're both angry enough and kind of disillusioned enough, particularly when they look around their communities mm. and the kind of dislocation that's happening in their communities. They're angry enough to be attracted to you know, the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so what unites them is this sense of the system is broken. Whereas I just don't think for a whole range of reasons Steve and Katrina are either either in their own lives or in their own personalities the system is broken kind of people. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Common Ground. In episode two, we dive straight into the big issues in Australian politics, economic inequality. If you enjoyed Common Ground, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or with your favourite podcasting app. Thanks to Rebecca Huntley, our podcast editor, Miles Martignoni, and our collaborators at 2SER, Emma Lancaster, Taylor Fuller, Miles Herbert and Emma Rappaport. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.